Alison Pena is a grief resilience coach. Her husband died in her arms after battling cancer for 11 months. She uh, now helps people with this grief. Uh, we had a fascinating conversation on what that stage was like, uh, how she handled it from it. There's three stages that generally people go through after a loss like that. Uh, I'm, I myself, many of you listeners know, my sister passed away in a car accident. And, you know, handling this grief was one way. With my parents, it's another way. But we have a great conversation on not only what to do or how to handle that grief, but also if a friend of yours or a family member, you never know what to say. When my sister passed away, I had people with very good intentions say really, really dumb things. Uh, we talk about that as well. What's comfortable to say to others uh, when this when this happens? Incredible story. She just finished a book. Uh, she rejected everything about being a widow. Uh, she didn't like it. You know, everybody's supposed to kind of be simple and be subservient, but she rejected all that, and she's known as the bad widow. Alison Pena, bad widow. I think it's a great title. We also talk about three ships and three frogs, what everybody should be doing every day. Great conversation with Allison Pena, Bad Widow. I know you're going to enjoy it. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Joey Pins. People ask me, how did I lose 130 pounds? The quick answer is always discipline. I started my business, wasn't paying attention to my health, was eating too much, you know, drinking too much sweets. My daughter was born. Next thing I know, I'm pre-diabetic, I have hypertension. I knew something had to change. Discipline. I, like many of you, have faced many challenges in your career, in your family, in your life, in your faith. How did you attack them? How did you approach them? How did you solve them, hopefully? It all had to have some degree of discipline. I'm also asked, how did you found and start a tech business that lasted over 25 years? Discipline. I was committed to it, enjoyed technology, didn't enjoy some aspects of it, but knew it was necessary. Discipline. Our podcast mission, how do we use discipline to better ourselves and society? Join me, please, as I talk to interesting people and discuss how they use discipline in their family and their passion and their careers and how it helped them. Our podcast vision, growth through learning from others. Joey Pins Discipline Conversations. It'll be light and serious. Join us, please. Thank you for consideration. Allison Pena, so nice to meet you. Thank you for your time today. Oh, you're welcome. Does time heal all wounds? Uh, no. <laughs> it doesn't. It, it eases things. It makes the pain a bit gentler, less um, horrific, but no, it doesn't. It's it doesn't. a terrible phrase. It really doesn't. It really doesn't. No. Nope. And what, and in your particular case, obviously the loss of your husband, we will get into that in a moment, but, and now you, you help people with this kind of loss. Uh, what are the, some of the key elements that you have to, you have to coach people on? Well, when uh, losing someone. 
Yeah, there there are a, a series of things that, as far as I can tell, everyone goes through. Mm. So right after the loss, there are some physical and emotional um, effects to losing someone. So loss of memory, inability mm. to focus, and flagging energy, which you don't think that much about that. Not a big deal, except that I was a uh, proofreader and editor. So if I couldn't remember and I couldn't focus, that was a problem. Hmm. If I couldn't work an eight hour day, that was a problem. Right. So there are some really practical impacts to some of the physical effects after losing someone. The other thing is a, a crazy level of uncontrollable emotions. And we are not as people that comfortable with that. There's this idea that you can just control it, hmm. control yourself. So someone bursts into tears, you might hear control yourself. I didn't mean to make you cry. But this is an experience that happens all the time after somebody loses somebody. And so what do you do? And so one of the things that I help people through is figuring out what you do do. So if you know that you don't know when you're going to burst into tears, but probably it's going to happen. Probably it's going to happen at a time and in a place that's inappropriate, uncomfortable, embarrassing. Hmm. And what do you do? How do you plan for that? Because if you don't, then it happens and the automatic reaction is to push people away because it's embarrassing. I mean, it would be nice to have everything under control, except that it isn't. Um, my work, I'm a, a grief resilience coach, and my work came out of solving for the breakdowns that I went through and that I discovered worked for everyone that I encountered who had been through loss. So it's pretty universal, some of these experiences. The, the journey of grief is a very individual. So no one person will say, well, I went through exactly that experience. But pretty much everyone I've talked to has had the, the memory loss, the focus, and the energy, the overwhelming feelings. And pretty much everyone I have worked with experiences feeling abandoned or misunderstood. One of the biggest casualties of grief is relationships. Partly because we don't know what to do or say to someone who's lost someone who matters to them. Mm. And so what happens is people do it wrong and they say stupid stuff all the time. I didn't mean to make you cry. On its face, that sounds like just a really nice thing to say. But when people would say that to me right after my husband died, I would think, I got bigger problems than you. You know? 
I have bigger problems than you. You did not make me cry. Losing the man I loved for 25 years, that made me cry. Going from two, two incomes to one income, hmm. living in New York City, that made me cry. Having to close up my husband's studio when smell is one of the most visceral hits. And my husband was an artist. So I had to close his studio and bring the paintings that he left me home. And he used to cut his oil paint with clove oil. So every time I walked into the studio, I burst into tears. Every time I opened a closed box of paints, I burst into tears. And it took me 11 months to close the studio. It was really hard. And nobody really understands that because you can't explain it. It doesn't make sense unless you've gone through it. And so I... I would have things happen, you know, how do I clear a studio? I developed rituals, rituals to deal with his ashes, rituals to deal with the paintings. And that allowed me to see that I was making progress. Because the first year feels like this wasteland of grief. It was all grief, all the time. And I couldn't count on myself. I didn't trust my own mind or my own body because I could be told something and forget it literally in the next second. Hmm. It was like sudden onset dementia in the middle of my life. And it was really disorienting. So I was a capable person and then I wasn't. So I didn't trust myself to work. I didn't trust myself to connect with people. And coming back from that, from that losing of yourself is a big thing that I help people with. What I found is that the first thing that everyone needed to do was to find solid ground in themselves. And we've seen this during this pandemic time, this real sense of disorientation, you know, time not working the same way necessarily hmm. because we haven't had the same amount of stuff to do you know, getting together with people, going to a job or, you know, having kids go to school. These are things that, that are, are kind of landmarks that mark our time that we haven't had. And it was like that after Dave died. So when the pandemic came, I was like, oh, this is familiar. <laughs> hmm. This slippage, you know, this strange experience of not feeling like I was going forward um, is a lot what the people grieving in the course, grieving all the things we lost these last two years 
have also gone through. Um, so the first thing was, how do you find solid ground in yourself? And what you need to do is to get into whatever your zone of genius is. And for every person, it's focusing on one of three areas. Everybody cares about all of them, but one is your zone. And it's the only place to find solid ground in yourself when the world goes to hell. So the first, in no particular order, is focus on executing impeccable work. These people, if they lose someone and their thing is work, they might be told stay back and rest. What they really need to do is work. Because hmm. that is where they feel most themselves. And the question is, how do you come back to feeling like yourself when things have fallen apart? Right. The second is nurturing one-on-one -on -one relationships. And these people, they need to get with their usually one to three people and spend time with people. And the, the third is um, serve a thriving community. These people need to lean into their community. So my husband, when he was diagnosed with cancer, his thing was work. Mine was community. Hmm. So I made it so that he could work until the Thursday before the Saturday he died in my arms at home. Wow. And I leaned into my community. And I served even as my husband was going through until he died by sharing what was going on for real, for us. And what wound up happening is that people eventually came out of the woodwork saying, nobody talks about this from in the middle of it. Hmm. They talk about it when they're all back together again. So when Dave died, there was nobody who was talking about this experience from this messy, horrible, devastated place I found myself. I, I couldn't find a model. There was nobody who was, there were people talking about how to handle the finances. And these are important things. I'm not saying they're not, but there also needs to be someone saying, this is real. This is really what it's like. This is really what it's like to have your whole world blow up and to try and figure out how to put it back together again. Um, so I found resources for, I found grief counselors. I'm not a grief counselor. I have skills to take people through that piece. It's not what I do, most of all. Um, and people to, to help with releasing stuff, with letting stuff go, and people to help with money. Um, and what I discovered was that nobody really understood the experience because nobody was talking about it. So there was this communication gap between the people who had suffered a loss and the ones who really wanted to support them. 
and had no idea what to do. So they screwed it up. Hmm. And I thought, you know, I can talk about what this is really like. I'm willing to be that vulnerable. And that's how Bad Widow came about. That's how I became Bad Widow. Because my thought was a good widow would say, oh, thank you so much for your kind words. Hmm. And not say, thank you, but that's not actually that helpful. This would be better. So that people could start to do it better because somebody was talking about it. I'll give you a a small example. People would say, how are you? Hmm. It's a very nice, innocuous thing to say. And Good intentions. Good intentions. Everyone means well. Everyone is doing their absolute best to be to be supportive, to be a help. But I would think, how do you think I am? I just lost the man I loved 25 years. Mm. I can't work. I can't connect with people. Some days I can barely get out of bed. I'm closing up the studio. I have one income, not two. How do you think I am? Why are you even asking me that? And yet it's a very nice question. Right. And so what I started to do was I started to say, thank you for asking, but I can't actually answer that. Because for me, there was this horizon where I could not see a time when I would not be just swamped in grief. In the whole horizon of my life, I could not see a time where I would be getting out of this experience. And so I said, what would be better is if you asked me with a shorter time frame, how are you today? Hmm. How are you right now? Because I could answer that. I could definitely answer that. And people started saying, wow, that's really helpful. You know, to have some clear guidance. Um, And so the first thing that I do with my clients is you have to to re-engage in life. So when we're hurt, we contract. We'll tend to see less people, do less activities. We see this also during the pandemic. People saw less people, did less activities. The problem is that you don't just bounce back from any loss. And you don't just bounce back from this contraction. It's actually a choice. And yet we think that you're just going to come back out organically. Except that the world is smaller. You know, to protect ourselves, we make it smaller. And so what I did was I started to re-engage in life. I started to look at the different aspects of my life and think about where I could push out just a little bit. So I couldn't be a coach because I couldn't deal with people. I couldn't be a proofreader 
or an editor because I couldn't focus and I had no memory. And I couldn't work a full eight-hour day at any job. So this really limited my possibilities. But I recognized that I had to start somewhere. And one of the things that people do is they expect that they'll start from where they were. But you're not the same person. You've literally been ripped apart and you're putting yourself back together. Hmm. And so you're not the same person. So you can't expect to start from that person because that person no longer exists. What I decided to do was I had a friend who was a widow and she agreed that I could work in her Halloween pop-up shop in four hour shifts because I thought I could work for four hours and be around people for four hours. I knew I could hang a costume on a rack. I sometimes needed instructions three to five times before I could do even the simple things that she was asking me to do. So there was a real effect. She um, was further out from losing her husband than I was. So she thought that I could manage people. I couldn't manage people. I could barely handle myself. Um, So I took this job in the Halloween pop-up shop and that was the start. Because re-engage is about starting from where you are and beginning to building block up to a bigger life. And the time typically when I start to work with people is when people go, yes, I've contracted. Yes, I'm still hurting, but I can see that I want a bigger life in the future. And I'm not quite sure how to get there. Another very strange thing about grief is that if it's suppressed, it goes on for a really long time. So I've had people write me that they're ready to start coming back after 15 years. Wow. After 40 years, after five years, after three months. So it's a really individual journey. And the problem is that people are only listening for the first year. After that, they're sort of saying, but you're fine now. But if the grief hasn't been actually handled, it gets dragged along into the next experiences. Right. So it's really necessary to deal with it, not deal with it like wallow in it and have it become your whole life because you need to find a way to go on. And so that's what I did. So reengage was get out, start doing things, start trying things. And the first thing I did was work, start working. Um, Then the next thing was reinvent myself, not the same person. So the question was, who am I? My husband and I were together for 25 years, half my life, close to half my life. And in that time, if you're a couple, you wind around each other like vines. Yeah. You know? There are the things that you do that are 
that were his, the things we did that were mine, and the things we did that were ours. And I had to figure out after all that time, which were mine. Hmm. What did I actually like doing? What had I given up because he liked it less that I wanted to take back? And so reinvent is involves a lot of trying stuff, hmm. looking at things, trying an activity, um, not making assumptions. So just because I liked something before didn't necessarily mean I still did. Maybe, maybe I did, maybe I didn't, but I needed to look at every single little thing. And so reinvent was make decisions as quickly as I could and try lots and lots of stuff and not assume that what I liked before was still what I liked now. Very often what happens after a loss is this pivot point where especially if someone dies What's risen to the surface in that time, however long or short you have, is what really matters. Do I really care about that person, that activity, that job, that direction? And very often what happens after a loss is a real unwillingness to settle. Because in the face of grief, what rises to the surface is what really matters. And it becomes much, much harder to just go along. You actually can't. So you'll see people pick up relationships, quit relationships, quit jobs, go more fully into jobs, choose a different direction open a business. And this is largely part of the effect of this rising to the surface, what really matters. After 25 years, a marriage becomes a lot about logistics. Hmm. Who's taking out the trash? Who's making dinner? Did you pick up the milk? And the love gets lost in there. The love really rises to the surface in the face of grief. Hmm. Because it matters. And the fact that life is short is not a, it's, it's not an abstract. My husband died in my arms. So life is short is not an abstraction for me. It's a real truth. Hmm. And what that means is that I say, I love you more often because I know that there isn't infinite time to say those words. You just don't know. So that's reinvent. And then the final thing is rebuilt. What happens People are not graceful when they're grieving. 
So if someone comes and says something stupid or does something stupid, a reaction might be to get angry. The first year was all grief. The second year was all rage. Neither of these are comfortable to be around if you care about someone. And watching someone in that much pain is painful, especially when you don't know what to do. And so people step up, step back, and step out. Hmm. You know, they just do. And um, it's... Can we pause for a sec? Sure. Sorry. My boyfriend came home and I need to... I'm back. Okay. He didn't realize I was on a podcast. (laughs) Sorry. It's quite all right. This this work from home, do everything from home, it's a thing. It is. Um, You're talking about rebuilding. Yes. So rebuilding. What happens is people step up, step back, and step out. And... Mm -hmm the people you expect to be there for you, sometimes they just can't handle it. It's just too much. And they leave. Or in a moment when they say or do something stupid, you lash out and they step back. Or they think that you should be making different choices than the ones that you are making. And they tell you what to do. You need to do this. We won't support you if you don't. This is very typical because what happens is that it's really hard to make decisions when you've had someone at your back to support you and suddenly they're not there. And so there's very often a a tentativeness about, is this the right thing to do? especially with my husband's paintings, it was, there were paintings that were unfinished, that would never sell. And I wound up needing to get rid of those. But it was devastating Mm -hmm. because I didn't know if I was doing the right thing. And there was nobody to ask. And in the face of that indecision, People jump in with their advice because they're trying to help. And so they tell you what they would do if they were in your shoes, which they're not. (laughs) Hmm. And usually they're wrong. Usually they're wrong. So people experience being abandoned. So in the first year, there's, there's this huge numbness and people will jump in with their ideas and they'll offer to do things that aren't actually helpful or they'll tell you what to do. Rebuild was to look at the network that you have post loss and see how it serves you. So when you lose a spouse, you have no idea how many spaces that person fills. You know, they comfort you. They celebrate with you. They're there to go out with or stay home with or, you know, to help with the bills, to help with children, to help with everything. 
And I never thought, we don't, don't have children, but I never thought how much space he took up in my life and how much support he provided me um, until he was gone. And then there were all these places where there just was nobody. And our networks are not designed to, to fill that space. I mean, why should they be? But it leaves people who have suffered loss feeling abandoned. So there is the expectation in the world that you just bounce back. I'm here to tell you that does not happen. Hmm. There is no bouncing back because first of all, you're not the same person. So you could only bounce back if you could get back to that person. And second of all, your direction may have even changed. You may care about different things. You may have changed the work that you do change the people you hang out with. So the network that you had before may not even work for you anymore, even if those people stuck around. And people leave. A lot of people leave. And important people leave. And in this emotional time, there are rifts that come up between people in that misunderstanding. Um, my finances were horrific after my husband died. And I wound up needing to ask for money from everybody, which was horrible and embarrassing and victimy. And I was not graceful and not good at it, honestly. Mm. Could I have done it better? Yes, but not in that moment. Mm. You know, I was doing the best I could. They were doing the best they could. But in the face of those uncomfortable conversations, there were some, some breaks in some of my relationships that I'm still repairing five years later. You know, painful, important relationships to me that I'm still repairing. So rebuild is what's your network look like? Who is in it now? And do they serve what you need now? Because it might not be what you needed before. And so that's basically the, the three pieces that I take people through. Re-engage, reinvent, and rebuild. And first of all, just ground in yourself hmm. because we count on outside things to tell us who we are. I was a wife and I'm a widow. I did this work and then I couldn't, you know, so we look to the roles that we play, the work that we do. I'm a good whatever. And I decided I'm a bad widow. I'm mm. going to blow up these assumptions that don't work. 
and remake it into an actual conversation so that the people who need to be supported are in a real way and the people who care about them know what to do. Everyone meant well. Right. I mean, I was certain of the goodness of people in this whole process. And it was very frustrating to be continuously misunderstood. Now, in in your case, Mm -hmm. your husband had cancer, so there was a a goodbye period, I'm going to assume. Uh, In other cases, do you grieve people that, you know, their, their significant other, whoever, their spouse, their friend, their lover, they died in a car accident or even worse, like homicide or something like that. Does, does it, what do you have to do to heal from that, knowing that? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's hard. Um, there's a shorter time frame to say goodbye. There might be more regrets. Mm. Um, if it's something like I was, I was talking to someone um, today and her husband just had a heart attack. You know, went out on their property, was sitting under a tree reading and had a heart attack. And so never came home. Um, when it when it's sudden, it's different. You know, when it's sudden, there's, I wish I said, I wish I did. Right. I wish I hadn't said or hadn't done. You know, there are regrets. The, my husband had pancreatic cancer and he lived for 11 months. And it's, so the grieving was sort of more stretched out. I had the time to say, I love you, but I also had the pain of, loving this man and really not being able to do anything Hmm. to help him. You know, he started chemo and they said, you know, you'll lose your hair. And so he went and he got a really short haircut so that he could have a little more control over it. And within two days he got on a city bike and he was riding around the city and his eyelashes started coming off his eyes and cutting his eyes and his hair literally started flying off his head and he came home devastated and I couldn't do anything. Mm. And so to, to be witness, to be a caregiver and be witness to the lessening of his ability to do stuff that he loved was extraordinarily painful. And as a caregiver, there's a losing of yourself in that role because everything goes towards the person who's sick. And so I would say, you know, I, I have to go and, and do some act of self-care. I have to go out on my own. I have to go out with friends. And he would say, but I'm the one with cancer. Hmm. 
and I would think, but I am the one who's holding everything together and I am about to break. In your videos, you mention um, what type of person are you? Purpose, love, and charity. And you could be a combination of those. Yep. Everybody is all of those. So that's a little bit what I touched on before. So this mm. is how you get yourself solid. So purpose is focus on work. I see. Love is focus on one-on-one -on -one relationships. And charity is focus on serving a thriving community. And everybody has all of them in some order. So I am purpose, love, and charity. So I nurture one-on-one -on -one relationships to serve a thriving community. What that means is that my sharing about my journey is essential to my own thriving. So it looks, it is brave and it looks brave for me to talk about this experience on camera, but it's also essential to what helps me thrive. To serve and to help. I, I was saying on another podcast I just did a, while, a little while ago, the thing that I kept saying in the course of this whole time was this pain must serve because it couldn't be so awful and not have some bigger purpose. It just didn't make sense to me. Hmm. Um, and so I had to share what was going on. And then what I found out was that it was useful to people. People said, Oh my gosh, you're speaking my language. I've never heard anyone talk like this about this. It's always sugar-coated over the top. Yes, time heals all wounds. No, it doesn't. Hmm. Friday was the five-year anniversary of my husband's death. And... I now have a boyfriend. I've fallen in love again. The week before Friday was really rough, really bad. The sadness just kept rising and I just kept letting it be because honestly, that's all you can do. And then my husband died at 10, 10 in the morning, five years ago on Friday. And at 10, 11, I was fine. It was mm. the weirdest thing. The weirdest thing. And I was bad the whole of the, the early part of the week. You know, a lot of tears, a lot of that kind of thing. 10, 11, I was fine. And went on. Which I didn't expect. I mean, there have been years where it was not like that. Where I was a, a hot mess, crying all day. And Friday wasn't, wasn't that for me. Um, because the sadness rises. It just does sometimes. And it rises at five years. It rises at 15. It rises at 40. Um, the, the hardest barrier, and I, I'd like to 
talk about this as well. Eventually I decided I wasn't willing to live without love for the second half of my life. And I was quite terrified. I was with this one man for 25 years. So only accustomed to his arm around my waist, his skin on my skin. And it's visceral, you know, people who are together, especially for that long, it's what you're used to, you know, but I decided I was going to try and that the easiest way for me was going to be to go on an online dating app. Yeah. Your videos chronicle all this. It's great. Bumble and how you went on dating. It's just great. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I enjoyed them. It was, it was hilarious. I mean, it was the wild west because the last time I dated was 1992 was 2018. Times have changed. I was in my 30s and then I was in my 50s. How I felt about myself. You know, if you're with someone 25 years, you don't worry about, do I still have that chemistry? Mm. You know, you've already chosen each other. And so now here I was in a place I never wanted to be again in the dating world. And in the online dating world, which, you know, there are the stories. (laughs) There are the horror stories. And uh, so I got on Bumble and I decided, okay, I am going to describe myself as clearly as I can so that people deselect. Because (laughs) I didn't want to say no. And I didn't have much energy. So I only wanted to go out with people that I wanted, that wanted to do the same stuff I did. Quality, not quantity. Quality, not quantity. Because I didn't need, I didn't need to have one or two dates a week. Right. What I wanted was to find one person who wanted me exactly how I was. But I was a hot mess. I couldn't be touched. I would say, don't touch me, you know, get back. I would panic if someone went to kiss me. I mean, literally freak out and jump back. Um, Lots of crying at random times, sadness rising. Not fun to be in a relationship with this. Just really not fun. And I was like, okay, I I have to get through this. Given that this is me, this isn't them, this is me. I need to find a way to make my way through this somehow. And I honestly was not sure I was going to make it. Because it was the hardest thing I've ever done. Hmm. It felt really oh, harder than dealing with your husband's passing was dating. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Cause you had to open yourself up now. Yeah. And my husband died in my arms. 
So right. I knew what that pain felt like. So if I loved someone again that much, I mm. opened myself to what I knew was devastating. Hmm. It wasn't something I imagined. The other, the other issue was that every time I experienced even a moment of joy, every time I felt a spark of desire, the grief rose at the same time in equal measure. So if I was to say to myself, okay, well, the grief is the sign that this is wrong. I would not be in the relationship I'm in right now hmm. because I would not have been able to push through that. So it took a lot of ownership on my part. You know, most of this is me. And so I got to deal with me. If I want love for the rest of my life, as I had love for the first part of my life, I need to find a way through. And so I just kept pushing. And the key to it was communication. My deal with my boyfriend was I could be any way I was as long as I communicated mm. and was clear. And the biggest thing that I did to, to make it through was I would ask myself, is it me? Is it him or is it us? Because what I was looking for was what, what do I do next? I had not dated since 1992. My skill sets were, mm. were, were atrophied. Unpolished. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously not in practice. Yeah. But if I, if I could ask myself that, okay, well, is it me? What's going on? Hmm. Is it, you know, wild emotions? Is it a, a visceral body reaction? Get away from me. Because when we date, what we say is, well, you'll, you'll know because the chemistry's right. Hmm. And the really freaky thing about it was that I couldn't trust my chemistry. Hmm. My chemistry was attuned to my husband who was dead. So then if you can't trust your chemistry, how do you determine if it's going well? You know, how do you even know? But if I could say, okay, well, this is me. This is an outsized reaction to someone trying to put an arm around my waist. Wow. So that's not him. Right. And then I could deal with myself. So I could explain my reaction. I could deal with my own feelings. Wow. You know that the tears are rising or I just suddenly got angry or whatever. But it was really important not to lay that off on him. Because it, it didn't have to do with him. It didn't even have to do with Dave, my husband. It was my own working on moving through. 
but it was a choice. It wasn't something that just happened. It was, I am unwilling to live without love for the rest of my mm. life. Mm -hmm. And I will do what it takes to get through. If it was him, I needed to be clear what it was I needed him to, to look at. He, um, when he moved in, we had talked about my, my husband's, my husband was an artist. So he left me 800 paintings, which live in this apartment. Right. So about 50 on the walls, there are paintings under the bookshelves, there are paintings behind the daybed, there are paintings in the flat files, on top of the flat files, everywhere, everywhere. So whoever moved in with me needed to have a certain level of confidence mm. because it wasn't putting five photographs in a drawer. It was living with the legacy of my husband with me. So we had talked about, okay, when, when I move in, let's move a few things around. Let's make some changes so that I can feel like I have a place and, and I have a place in our home. So, so he moved in. Fortunately, he didn't have very much stuff. And he said, okay, now what are we going to change? And I said, change? What do you mean change? You're all the change I can handle. <laughs> and then I calmed myself down and we moved some furniture. But it was like that. You know, it was, and, and you know, what he knows to just push me till I reach the freak out point mm. and then pause and back off, then yeah. back off. And this is how we got through, you know, this is how we got through to intimacy. This is how we got through to giving him more space in my life. This is how we got through. Everything was just my willingness to push and his willingness to, shove me, but also be patient. Mm. So when I said stop, he would stop. He would stop. And, you know, my favorite moment was this one moment where it was hot and heavy and I'm like, ah, stop. And he said, okay, you've got to be kidding. And stopped. Well, he was already in his launch sequence, I'm sure, there. Yeah, it was very strong of him. Yes. Yeah, but he, respect you. he was willing to, and you know what he said, and this is the man he is, what he said was, if you were willing to be that brave, I was willing to be that patient. Hmm. And that is why we have the relationship we have, right. because I was such a mess that it was necessary to communicate all the time <laughs> about everything. Cause otherwise there were going to be really bad, awful misunderstandings between us. Happiness. Happiness. Uh, yes. It's incredible. You, you do such a great job of kind of chronicling all this with all your videos and they're really heartfelt and you get, you have some very early in the morning and you talk about the, 
you know, the paintings and how, what you did there and um, your dating in the Bumble. And uh, it, it's very, very, uh, I, I like it a lot. My favorite, though, uh, was your uh, Send Three Ships and Eat Three Frogs. Ah, yes. Yes. Um, three Ships and Three Frogs. I love this. I got this idea from someone years ago. And basically, three ships and three frogs. So three ships are three outreaches of any kind. So you can use it in business, but you can use it in anything. So if you're using it in business, it's uh, send an email, make a phone call, do some content for something. That would be three, three ships. Three frogs are those things you don't want to do. Mm. Have that conversation that keeps it. It's those things that keeps coming up to the surface of your mind. Oh, I need to talk to so-and-so mm. about that. I have to get that task done. Taxes are one of those things mm -hmm. typically for people. I need to clean that room, that spot, deal with this. So the frogs are those things that are taking up mental and often physical space that keep rising to the surface. And they'll keep rising to the surface till you deal with them. And what I discovered is if I sent out the ships and dealt with the frogs, on a daily basis or five days a week, life started moving very quickly hmm. because I was looking at, so it's not like a to-do list. A to-do list is kind of a, here's everything I have to get done. It's much more of a looking in the moment at what needs to get done now. Hmm. What's right in front of my face? What feels most important in this moment? And so one of the, the great magics for moving fast is being present. It's one of the great magics for escaping the pain of grief, actually, is being present. Um, yeah, so ships and frogs. So ships and frogs were both a way for me to mark time Okay, I'm moving forward and I can really see it. And to get those things that were really tough out of the way. Now, frogs. The important thing about frogs after a loss is what frog do you deal with? Hmm. Because they're the frogs that are really emotional and really hard. And they're the small frogs the irritating frogs. So it's kind of low hanging fruit and high hanging fruit. The answer to what to do first depends on your energy. So if you have a lot of energy and you want to make move a big boulder, tackle a big frog. And it will just clear much more space. If you have small energy, tackle a small frog. One of the things about the affluence code, which is purpose, love, and charity, is that affluence is not just money. It's money, 
time, relationships, health, and work. Hmm. The interesting thing about it is that they act like dominoes. So if you think about it, each one leans on the other in some way. And pretty much all of them. So whether you're moving a big frog or a small frog, you're pushing a domino mm. that will move other things. So in really emotional moments, it doesn't make sense to tackle the big stuff. It just makes sense to start pushing the needle. Knock a domino. Start moving because then you have a different perspective. Then you can see something different. There are new possibilities. Stuck is bad. Stuck is bad. I've just written a, a whole book called The Bad Widow Guide to Life After Loss, Moving mm. Through Grief to Live and Love Again. And I'm really proud of it. Um, it's on Amazon. The paperback's on Amazon now, actually. And the ebook comes out on the 20th. So, um, and that's got... I thought of writing, you know, a, a, a business book, a book about, well, here is how I take my clients through their grief. Well, that's not bad widow. That's not how I roll. And so it's a book of stories. It certainly offers help, but it's a book of the breakdowns that I went through, that my clients go through and the solutions that I came up with to move through and stories. Um, I am so proud of it. It was so hard to write mm. because to write it the way that I wanted to, I had to go back into the pain. Otherwise it was going to be a, here's what happened to me and I'm through it. That's stuff mm. I hate. I wasn't, willing to do that. And my boyfriend, so this is how awesome my boyfriend is. He hasn't read the chapter on us and he's fine with it. <laughs> like he's a rock star. <laughs> Congratulations. He said, Congratulations. you write whatever you need to write. I'm good. Wow. Well, Alison Panda, thank you so much for your time. I mean, you're so inspirational because not only, you know, did you go through this and you rejected the kind of the common, you know, uh, places that a widow should be, you rejected it, became a bad widow, but now you wrote a book and you help others. You make, you made that turn and you help others do that. I, I, the kind of person who makes that pivot is a remarkable one. And I applaud you for that uh, because you. when you have to help others, you have to relive it a bit yourself. And that's so noble. And uh, I, I absolutely applaud you on that. And I love talking to you today. I love hearing, you know, how you dealt with this and how you worked with it. And I hope the listeners will as well. I want to thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. You be well, and uh, I look forward to reading your book. And uh, maybe one day when I'm in the city, we'll have a cup of coffee, the three of us. Oh, I'd love that. That would be great. 
<laughs> Very good. Thank you, Allison. You be well. You too. Okay. Bye. Thank you for listening and or viewing Joey Pinn's Discipline Conversations. Please share this episode with one or two of your friends who you think may benefit from the episode. Our website, www.joeypins.com. There you find lots of resources and you could join our mailing list. Please follow us on all our social media, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Podcast information, the video version of our podcast is on YouTube. Please subscribe. Audio is on all major podcasting platforms. Please follow them. And if you like it, please consider giving five-star rating. Would really appreciate that. Would you like to financially support the podcast? You can go to our Patreon site. Consider $5, 10 or $20 a month. There's all kind of plans that we have there. It's like a one-time payment. What is this podcast episode worth to you? you be the judge you can go to our paypal account to do that as well thank you again for listening or watching joey pin's discipline conversation